0: Today's scripture reading comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 22, verses 15 to 22. Then the Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap him in his words. They sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. Teacher, they said, we know that you are a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are. Tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? But Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said, You hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying the tax. They brought him a denarius, and he asked them, Whose image is this, and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then he said to them, So give back to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. When they heard this, they were amazed. So they left him and went away. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God endures forever. Hey everyone, great to be back. Uh, If we haven't met yet, my name is
1: Aaron and I am one of the pastors at Exilic. And the reason why I've been a little bit MIA this summer is because I have been on study leave. Uh, feverishly trying to finish my dissertation in time uh, which I want to thank you all for giving me the time to do Uh, and just to give you a a status report on that uh, there's good news and bad news so let me begin with the bad news Uh, the bad news is I did not finish it yet Uh, I thought I would I was gonna have to write around 170 pages it turns out it's about 50 pages more so it's about 220 Uh, So I haven't quite finished it, but the good news is is that it's not technically due until mid-November But the reason why I wanted to uh, finish it uh, this summer and not procrastinate for once in my life is because uh, As far back as six months ago It was pretty easy to predict what the next the latter half of 2020 would look like with uh, the You know resumption of our community groups starting this week and some are starting the following week to uh, this ongoing pandemic which has flipped the world upside down to our second pandemic in racial injustice to um to all the political division and strife that is taking place right now in our nation and it's only going to get more heated up in october and in november and then in the midst of all of that uh many churches including ours are still not meeting face to face and the level of spiritual deterioration that has taken place is it's just so sad and devastating. And so there's a lot going on uh, right now. And so I wanted to give as much concentration as I could, you know, to to everything that's going on. And so uh, what I wanna do right now is just kind of give you a clear roadmap for what the rest of the year is going to look like from a preaching perspective. Uh, And before I dive into our new sermon series today that we're gonna be doing for the next seven weeks, I do wanna let you know that after this sermon series, in mid-October and in November, we are going to be doing a mini-sermon series on faith and politics. We're also going to have a QA and a on faith and politics as well. And then after that, uh, our series on faith and politics, believe it or not, it's our 6 year anniversary service. and. This year has been awful in many ways, but there are always silver linings to thank our Lord for, and so we are going to celebrate everything that God has done, and you'll hear some of the stories of what God has done this past year as well. And then after that, believe it or not, it's Advent, and if you don't know what Advent is, it's the four Sundays prior to Christmas to help us prepare for Christmas. So do a sermon series on Advent, and after after that, we are going to have our New Year's uh, Eve sermon and that'll be the end of the year. But as far as what this next sermon series is gonna look like, uh, if some of you, some of you may have been with us in year one of our church, and the very the second sermon series we ever did, if you were there, was called Questioning Christianity. And the reason why we did this sermon series was it was an opportunity for us to sort of pin God against the wall and say, Hey, if you're so good, why is 2020 happening? Um, if if, if you know, the Bible is the word of God, why is, it, why is there so many inconsistencies? Um, how do you reconcile faith and science? And so it was an opportunity for us to pin God against the wall and to question Him. But in this current sermon series, what we're going to do is to turn the tables around, and we are going to give God the opportunity to question us. Now if you weren't paying careful, careful attention to the announcements about uh, the announcement about this new sermon series, and if you're sitting next to someone right now, ask them the question, ask them this question. How many questions was Jesus asked in the Gospels? Go ahead and ask them. He was asked 183 questions. Now ask your neighbor, How many of the 183 questions do you think Jesus actually uh, answered? And the answer is less than 10. It's somewhere between three and eight. So let's just take the higher number for a second. Let's say he answers eight out of the 183 questions. That would mean that for about every 23 questions, Jesus only answers one of them. Now, while Jesus only answers eight questions, Take a guess how many questions Jesus asks other people. Go ahead and ask your neighbor. Jesus asks over 300 questions to other people. 307 to be uh, exact. So he answers only eight questions, but he asks 307 questions. And so while Jesus might be the ultimate answer for life's hardest questions, even being more than the ultimate answer, in many ways he is the ultimate questioner. And so during these, this series, we are going to be taking a look at some of the questions that God has for us. Questions like: Do you really love me? Why did you not believe? Why did you doubt? Who do you say that I am? What is a prophet, a man, if he gains the whole world, yet forfeits his soul? Why are you sleeping and not awake? And so these are some of the kinds of questions that we are going to be asking during this sermon series. And today we are going to kick off this sermon series with a mini appetizer for the main course in faith and politics. Because in this sermon series, we're going to be taking a look at, as one commentator put it, one of the greatest political maxims ever told in human history. And that is the maxim, render to caesar what is caesar's and to god what is god's and the key to unlocking this political maxim is with the two questions that jesus asked right before it and the two questions that jesus asked is whose image is on this coin whose inscription and that's what we're going to be taking a look at today now i've talked a lot and uh, i know that these are not easy to watch. And so this is going to be a little bit more of a homily than a sermon. A homily is just an abbreviated sermon. So we're not going to go cover everything in here exhaustively because we'll probably cover the same text later on in our faith and politics series. But I do want to cover some aspects of this text that I think can be very, very helpful for us. So to give you a little context behind this text, this is the Tuesday before Jesus dies and is executed on Friday. So we are in the last week of Jesus's life and he is just days away from dying. And there are two political parties that come and question him and this is what we pick up on. Uh, in verse 18, verses 15 to 16, the story says this, then the Pharisees went out And laid plans to trap him in his words they sent their disciples to him along with the herodians tell us then what is your opinion is it right to pay the imperial tax to caesar or not now here in these two verses what we have are two opposing political parties we have the pharisees and the Herodians. And to give you a little context behind these two parties, the Pharisees were against Roman rule. They wanted the old days of Jerusalem restored again. The Herodians were also Jewish, but they supported Roman rule. So these two groups, these two parties could not hate each other anymore, which kind of sounds familiar. But as the saying goes, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. And both of their common enemy, was Jesus. And because he was our common enemy, these two political parties joined and collaborated forces together to form an alliance. And they asked him this brilliant, brilliant question Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? This is an either-or question. This is a yes or no question. And the reason why this question is so brilliantly framed is because if Jesus says, yes, it is right to pay taxes to Caesar, then he's a traitor to his own people. The Jewish community was always reminded of their foreign domination and their subjugation every time they had to pay the tax. And so if he said, yes, go ahead, go ahead and pay the tax, he would have been a traitor to his people. However, if Jesus said, no, don't pay the tax, then he would have been committing treason against Rome. So he's he's either a traitor or he's committing treason, which is why this is a trap question and brilliantly framed. So how does Jesus answer their question? The way that Jesus answers their question is not with an answer, But what he does is he questions their question and in typical rabbinic socratic method he he wants to ask them a question for pedagogical purposes you know there's a reason why the word quest is in the word question because anytime you ask a question to someone or when someone asks you a question what what is happening is they are inviting you to go on a quest an intellectual quest with them And what Jesus is doing by asking this question is he's inviting them to go on this quest uh, with him. And here is how the story continues in verses 18 to 21. But Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said, You hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying the tax. So they brought him a denarius, and he asked them, Whose image is this and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then he said to them, So give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. Now, as brilliant as this question is, you know, should we pay taxes to Caesar or not? What's even more brilliant is Jesus' response. And he says, Whose image is on this? Whose inscription? And what he says is, Give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. Now here's why this answer is so brilliant. The question that is asked is an either-or question. Should we or shouldn't we pay taxes to Caesar? Yes or no? But the way that Jesus answers this question isn't with an either-or. He doesn't answer it with a yes or with a no, but instead he answers it with a both-and. His response is, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. And to God, what is God? And there are three things that I just want, to, I just want us to think about um, uh, by way of application as we think about Jesus's brilliant response. Okay. So the first thing that I want us to think about is this. When Jesus answers an either or question, either or question with a both and response, what that shows to me is that his response is very nuanced and thoughtful. And when it comes to politics in particular, these are the kinds of responses that we need. Most of life is not black and white. Most of life is actually gray. But when we turn these gray areas into extreme black or white things all the time, this is when tribalism happens, this is when extremism happens, and there's no dialogue that can take place. But most of life really is gray. And as a result, even when an answer is black and white, how you get to that, Destination also requires a lot of thoughtfulness and nuance. And so one of the things that's happening in our, our society today is that everything is this or that, and if you're not with us, you're against us. And everything is so extreme. But as Christians in particular, we are called to model our Lord and Savior, and we are called to have thoughtfulness and nuance. I like what Alan Noble uh, says when he talks about thin beliefs and thick beliefs. Thin beliefs lack explanatory power to explain reality. Thick beliefs have explanatory power to explain reality. So thin beliefs are typically beliefs that don't have too much logic, are really based upon the fact that they like a hashtag or it looks cool, or people that they wanna be associated believe in that, so they wanna believe in it too. But it's really a thin kind of belief. Thick belief, on the other hand, has logic. It has understanding. It's able to accurately represent not only your side, but accurately represent the other side in a very fair way and engage with their hardest arguments. And the kinds of belief systems that we are called to have is more thick than thin. Now, how do we get thicker beliefs? One of the ways of getting thicker beliefs is actually by dialoguing with the other side. So I'll give you an example. I believe in God. I'm pretty firm on that. But one of the reasons why I'm pretty firm on my belief in God is not just because I listen to my own siloed echo chamber of other people that believe in God, but one of the reasons why I believe in Him is because of my dialogue with skeptics and people that don't believe in God, reading people who don't believe in God, uh, uh, talking with people who don't believe in God, and having them question me. And it turns out there's a lot of holes in my argument sometimes. But through that dialogue, it's given me actually more Thicker belief in God. And if we are called, if we're going to be the kind of people that have thick belief, who have thoughtfulness, who have nuance in the way that we are think about politics in particular, one of the ways that has to happen is by reading and listening to other people who have different opinions than us, in a civil and thoughtful, and kind way. And this is what we see in Jesus' response, which is why it is so nuanced. That's what we are called to do as well. The second thing that we see is that in the first part of the uh, response, Jesus says, "Give back to Caesar what is Caesar's. And by saying that phrase, what Jesus is affirming is the role of government and our involvement in governing. we should give back to Caesar what is Caesar's. And what that means is that for those of us in particular who hate politics or who are indifferent to politics or who never vote, we never talk about anything political or religious uh, and What we're really concerned about is really just our own life. When we hear Jesus say, give back to Caesar what is Caesar's, what he really is affirming is the role of government and our involvement in it. Um, Scripture has a healthy political theology. Uh, The government, in particular, is one of the institutions that God has made to serve us. Now you might think that politics is dirty, but in the Bible, politics is actually good. Politicians might be dirty, but but politics is something that God has made. Even if there was no fall, there would still be politics. When is the fall festival going to start? What time should we do this? How much much money should be allocated to to the roads? or Should people be allowed to have a permit for this or not? there would still be politics. So politics in and of itself is a good thing. And as Christians, we shouldn't be removed from politics. If anything, we should be engaged in it more. I like what Tim Keller says uh, in his article that he wrote for the New York Times called, How do Christians fit into the two-party system? They don't. And Keller says, Christians cannot pretend they can transcend politics. Those who avoid all political discussions and engagement are essentially casting a vote for the social status quo and when we do remove ourselves like that I mean it really is a form of privilege because in a sense you're saying that politics don't affect me at all but politics does affect people and even if you might not think that it affects you it does other affect other people and if we are called to love our neighbors we need to be politically involved so we're not called to be less engaged as Christians But we are called to be more engaged. And so for those of you who hate politics and are indifferent towards it, the Bible seems to suggest, and we'll talk about this more in the Faith and Politics series, that we should be involved in it in one way or another. The latter half, now the third application that Jesus says is this. He says, give back to Caesar what is Caesar's. And then he says, and to God's what is God's. Now oftentimes when we hear this phrase, give to Caesar what is Caesar and to God what is God's, we think Caesar things are over here, God things are over here, and they have nothing to do with one another. And this is where we might adopt the category of church and state, the separation of church and state. But rather than thinking of it this way, the way that I want us to think about it uh, in light of this pericope in particular is to think about it like this. Caesar things are over here, And God things are all over here. Because if government is something that God has made, in addition to the institution of the church and the family, for example, all of this belongs to him. All of this is under his sphere and his authority. So yeah, give back to Caesar what is Caesar's. Give him his money. But give to God what is God's. And what is God's? What does God want? What is his? It's really everything, isn't it? It's our hearts, it's our minds, it's our souls, it's our bodies, it's our loyalty, it's our allegiance. It's everything belongs to God and not only uh, to us. Now the question is, why would we, why should we give our allegiance to God? What makes him a greater king than maybe a politician that we like that can potentially save our country? Just a few thoughts to to think about uh, particularly for those of you who are investigating Christianity. Why should we give our allegiance to God? Why should we bow our knees to this king and not any other kings? And I think, I think one thing that can really help um, unlock this passage is the two questions that Jesus asked prior to giving this political maxim, and that is this. Whose image is on this coin and whose inscription? Now, we know a lot about a denarius because we still have them to this day. And when you, took a, when you take a look at the denarius, the image that was on the denarius was the image of Caesar Tiberius. And the word Caesar simply means emperor or king. On the other side of the coin, it would have said son of the god Augustus Pontific, Pontifex Maximus. And what that basically means is high priest. So when Jesus is looking at this coin, he's seeing a king. He is seeing a son of a god. And he is seeing a high priest. The irony, because he himself is all those things. And what makes this passage even more ironic is that Jesus asked for a denarius. A denarius wasn't worth that much, but he didn't even have it. He had to ask someone for the denarius and someone gives it to him, and he's holding up this coin, looking at it. And here we see the difference between Caesar and Jesus. One has thousands and millions of denarius. The other king doesn't even have one. He has to ask someone for it. One king is sitting on a throne in Rome. The other one is totally homeless. He doesn't even have a place to rest his head. One is uh, 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 sitting on this majestic throne and the other one would eventually hang on a cross. The two distinctions could not be more polarizing, and yet most people today did not even know that this particular Caesar was Tiberius, or who Tiberius even is. But with this king, Jesus, billions of people have followed him throughout history, and millions upon millions still follow him to this day, bowing their knee to him. And the question is, why him? What makes him stand out the most? I think one of the big differences between this politician versus all the others is that he doesn't care about serving himself. What he really cares about is serving us and giving his life as ransom for money for many. The reason why he came was not to win an election. The reason why he came was to lose his life. And the reason why he came to lose his life and to serve us rather than be served is because of our sins. And friends, both you and I, we are sinners. You know, as we think about politics, um, all of us have things that we are very passionate about and have very strong opinions about, including myself. And some of those things are really, I think a lot of us can agree on, for example, uh i am totally against racism but you know what even though i am totally against racism and so is the bible i have racist tendencies i still do i am totally for taking care of the poor just like the bible but you know what when they move to my neighborhood I'm not just, i'm not so sure if i want them there you might be very passionate about a particular thing but it turns out there are, and dogmatic about a particular thing, but it turns out there are certain things that are inconsistent about the way that we live uh, and the way that we act. And yet even in the midst of those inconsistencies, what Jesus does is that he dies for our sins. He dies for the things that we virtue signal about, but it turns out there isn't much virtue in us at all. You might be totally against human trafficking, and yet you're still addicted to porn which actually helps aid the human trafficking industry to a certain degree. I mean, the, 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 the amount of inconsistencies that are in all of our lives is glaring. It turns out that none of us are actually that virtuous. It turns out that some of us are pretty simple. and it is for that reason Jesus dies in our place on a cross. He takes our inconsistencies on the cross and says, you're clean, you're forgiven, and there's no reason to live in shame anymore. And I'll close with this final analogy. Uh, most of us have played the game of chess before, and what makes the game of chess uh, you know, pretty unique is that we have to, you gotta protect the king at all costs. King is captured, or the king loses, you lose the game. But when we think about what the gospel is, this king was not trying to hide or run away from being captured and imprisoned. But this king that we serve wanted to be captured. He wanted to lose his life. And the reason why he wanted to be captured and to lose his life was so that he can save ours. Now, as we think about what what all these different things, uh, the gospel implications for the way that we ought to live our lives, I think at the very least, as we approach this uh, political season, and one of the things that we have to do is have that same mentality, uh, a, a humility that is about us, a posture where we come to serve and not be served. We need to have a kind of posture that has thoughtful answers and nuanced answers. We need to realize that when we talk to someone else that we disagree with, that they are made in the image of God. And the inscription that is on them is that they are a son and daughter of God. We can't forget that because these people on the other side are the same people that Jesus died for as well. The more we understand our own sin, the more we will show grace to other people, just as Jesus has shown grace to us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for um, this opportunity to um, just, you know, at least on a surface le- a level, uh, think about this very important political maxim, and as we head into a very controversial and heated season, may Christians in particular be at the forefront of showing grace, uh, be at the forefront of thoughtful answers and nuanced answers, and be at the forefront of what it means to love our neighbors, uh, even those that we disagree with. In your name I pray. Amen.